Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the true story of a New York City boy with big town hopes and small neighborhood dreams of becoming BFFs with the Real Housewives and other Bravo celebrities. Then, one day, that dream actually came true. Let me take you behind the velvet rope. Welcome back to part two of our sit down with This Is Paris director, Alexandra Dean. And if you haven't heard part one, check it out. We get into what is it like to get a phone call to interview for a job to work with Paris Hilton. What did she learn about Paris? What are some of the biggest misconceptions about Paris? What was the interview like meeting Nikki Hilton, Kathy Hilton? You guys need to hear part one. And now stay tuned for part two. You know, what's been delightful about releasing this film is that that's what I'm seeing online. I'm seeing people actually saying either, you know, I've always loved you, but now I love you more or I, shit, I'm sorry. I judged you and I didn't know you. And actually I love the real Paris much more than the brand Paris. So yeah, I, I think certainly at home here in the United States, that's the truth. I think maybe where she's more of an image than a character, it'll be different. But then what I always said to her is, I don't think, well I, well, I tried to get her to question in herself was why she felt that she couldn't really divorce the brand and still be both. You can still put on the mask. You can still go out in Korea or Bahrain or Alabama and be Barbie when you need to. And you can also let everyone in on it let them know who you really are so that you can develop and evolve into somebody else. Do you think that's a like a struggle that she wants to kind of, you know, have this other side, this boy aside, the sweats, be in public more? I think she still struggles with that. I think that the muscle 
memory, whatever allows her to make that transformation, you know, in the phone booth into, into Barbie Paris is very strong. And as you can see in the doc, there are moments when she's in the middle of a sentence, she'll flip into it. And so that is always going to be really hard. I can't really see her with no makeup and sweats on a stage in Korea. Like she's never going to do that. But maybe she will keep letting us behind the curtain in, in future film projects or some format like that, where she can also kind of keep letting you know there's this other person evolving there. And now that you know her so closely, like what do you think is the biggest misconception? Because I mean, I think people know she's not just a dumb blonde at this point. Like it's been a long time since The Simple Life and she's been running this huge empire as a businesswoman. I, I assume everyone knows that, but I don't know. Like, what do you think is the biggest misconception? I think people think that Paris is a spoiled mean girl inside and that she's never changed. And I, it, you know, seeing that reaction now, I, I regret some scenes of the film that I cut because they felt extraneous to the narrative, but they're very important if you think that Paris is secretly a mean girl inside. Like there was a scene where she has um, one of her closest friends as a music producer of hers who told me that she was abused in her marriage and Paris um, saved her, was the only person in Hollywood who picked up the phone when she called everybody looking for a job that would allow her to get out of her marriage. And Paris gave her a job for two years and supported her to get out of that marriage. And you know, those stories, I heard a lot. A lot of people in her entourage, she saved in one way or another got them out of abusive marriages or help them in their journey to realizing that they need to come out of the closet or um, help them with a family that had rejected them. People who surround Paris are all in that camp. And to have people think that Paris is secretly a mean girl, it, it kind of breaks my heart because they don't realize where she's gotten to. She's not in that place in her life. She's in a place of empathy and a place of trying to fix things that are wrong and, and heal people because she's realized that that broken person that she used to be is not who she wants to be anymore. Were there a lot of challenges in working with Paris just in the sense that little Hiltons are loyal to the cause to the end? Like, you know, everywhere you went, it was a mob scene. Like, did that add like another layer of like, this film is not easy just to film, just like, logistically yes. like it was really hard i mean i got elbowed in the face more times than i care to remember when i was trying to just get in the you know in the crowd and film her um and all of our main camera people in this film were women um and my um uh, my ap katie is smaller than me so the two of us and we were the only two that filmed in korea so the two of us were always trying to get through crowds and and one time she was terribly mobbed behind the scenes in Korea. And you don't even see, she almost gets suffocated by the mob. And Katie and I ended up bashing people away with chairs, both trying to kind of get some air around her and get up, up so we could actually film her. And that was a crazy night, yeah. And Katie's like five foot two and like, or Oshkosh is like, boom, getting through the crowd, getting her chair down and getting that shot. It was great fun and, and wild. That's and then so we have this. It's so fun. We have this Amazon, Arlene Nelson, who, who is uh, the woman responsible for the Tomorrowland sequence because she does not stop filming. She is 
just incredible. She stands on that stage, even when they're trying to throw her off and keeps the camera rolling. Was it a conscious decision to have all female camera women or just kind of Yes, habits? very, very, okay. very. Well, look, I knew we were gonna be filming sensitive scenes. And then as the, as the film progressed, I knew we were gonna be talking to victims of trauma who were gonna talk about some really intense abuse. And I didn't know where that abuse was gonna go. So I just wanted it to be an all female uh, crew while we were asking those questions. So to your point about the abuse, so take me through it. Like, so in the beginning of you signing on for this, like that was, or what, was that always part of this film or it wasn't? I knew that she'd been to boarding schools that sounded to me like they were a little effed up, frankly, but I didn't know what her story was in the schools. I just knew I'd kind of Googled around. Like if you Google Provo Canyon school, you'll see what I saw. And I Googled all her schools just trying to do my research as a, as a journalist. And I was like, what? You know, so I knew that that existed, but I didn't know if she'd talk about it. I didn't know her opinion on it. I didn't know if it had scarred her or, if, you know, like Drew Barrymore, she felt like it had helped her. Um, you know, as it turns out, it really did scar her. So you doing this research and just learning about these schools and you're like okay well this is interesting and then just one day you brought it up uh it was a very slow process right i mean once she told me about her insomnia and this nightmare she was always having i really felt like that in some ways was an invitation to start looking into what was happening to her psychologically so from there, we really started to unpack it. And I did really start to ask about the schools and ask about the sex tape and just try and start to kind of dig through the layers of trauma that might be there to understand what was giving her this same nightmare every night. I didn't realize it was so based on reality. Yeah. So in a way, like this movie could have gone way different if she didn't open up or wanted to still yeah. keep this i mean <laughs> so like if that happens i mean i know this is very meta and like hindsight is whatever but then this would just be a totally different movie which would have had a totally different message i guess i think you know ipc is a really amazing production company and i think ipc would have made sure this this was a deep film. They weren't gonna make a film, and they were not interested in making a film that was superficial. So one way or another, it would have been deep and fascinating. But I'm sure yeah. another director might have taken it more in the, in the direction of influencers and the trap of social media, and that was certainly fascinating to me. But this psychological trauma was so profound and so clearly haunted her that that to me was the key that unlocked the story. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, because of the trauma being associated with therapists, like this, I mean, maybe I'm just making over, like this probably is the best therapy that Paris ever could have had. I think it was pretty good therapy. And you know why? Because it kind of worked on me. And I, I went through something as a kid where my own sister was in an institution, not unlike Provo, and she was kind of broken. and. It was very traumatic for me because I'm the younger sister. And I knew that I kind of wanted to talk about 
these things with Paris, you know, as this stuff was unfolding, because I had my own questions about it myself. And as we talked it through, I had these crazy memories of my own childhood coming back. And it really deeply affected me. And, you know, I think you come to a point in your life where you have to reckon with these things. And I'm really grateful that this film let me reckon with those things. And I think Paris feels the same way. How did you choose? Because I thought this was one of the more brilliant parts of the film. Like, how did you choose to add, like, the animation effect, which I thought was really well done? Well, it's the same animation house I, I used in Bombshell, The Head of the Mars Story. Um, I knew that if I wanted to portray a woman who was being dogged by nightmares, no real footage was going to do that for me. And I thought of what I'd done in Bombshell and I thought really we can, we can go into the nightmare much more effectively, much more accurately if we can get a good animation. And Paris says that line, like, I wish we could take a camera into my nightmares and show them what's happening. So I thought from there on in, okay, let's, let's take that invitation, make that camera go into your nightmares. And because nightmares are clearly not a real thing, they're, they're never gonna be a physical, tangible place I can go with my camera. I felt like it allowed me to then go into animation as we went into her imagination and her memories. Yeah, I thought that was just really well done. Thank you. How did you get, so I mean, not that it was so hard, but how was the discussion? So like Kathy was in the film, like Nikki, was that hard to get them to be in the film? And was there this whole thing with like Rick Hilton? I mean, like he wasn't in the film, the film was still very effective. Was that like a whole back and forth where you really wanted Rick in it as well? Oh yeah, we really wanted Rick in it. And at one point he actually said he would do it. And we were going, you know, we're carrying all of our equipment in to film him and Kathy. And then they both said, I'm not sure we're gonna do this. And in the end, Kathy decided to do it, but Rick decided no. And I think it would have been kind of unprecedented for him if he'd done it, sort of like it was for Nikki. Um, but he just didn't want to go there in the end. It was too much. You know, he's very used to his privacy. And was it because of Provo? Like, would Rick, you think, have done it if it was, you know, not such a... I, I don't know, but possibly, right? You know, if your kid has been through all of these schools and all this trauma, you may not want to sit there and answer questions about it. I have to take my hat off to Kathy Hilton because it was brave of her to do it. And, and I think she, she did it because I, I think she knew that Paris wanted her to do it. And did she know where it was going? Like, did, did, or was that on air? Like what we saw? Or did she kind of know this was a topic that was coming out? Um, she knew, she did know that we were gonna talk about the schools in the film. She didn't know how, or the questions that I was gonna ask her in advance. Um, so I think the surprise that she displays when we talk to her about the schools is, is real. And I think she, you know, she really had a lot of skeptical, skepticism about them and, and Paris's story and didn't necessarily believe what Paris had told her. And I think what part of the shock that you're hearing from her is, oh my God, this documentary crew is saying it's real. You know, there's probably other people in this film corroborating this. I think more than I've never heard this story, what I was getting from her is, oh shit, is this real? You know? Right, and that brings up a lot of 
you know, guilt, I would think as a parent, that if you had only oh known. Yeah. And then you have to reckon with that. I mean, and you know, I'm a parent. So as a parent, I really do feel for that. And I think it's too easy to judge parents that send their, their kids away to these schools because there are therapists who receive kickbacks for recommending children go to these schools and they target the rich and famous because they need their money. And I'm sure, I'm sure Kathy was advised by many therapists who were getting nice rich checks from these schools to send the kids there. And so she sent Paris on a, on a good recommendation. Wow. Who was harder to get a yes from, Nikki or Kathy, to mm -hmm. be part of the film? Kathy. Kathy. Nikki just grilled me, but Kathy really wasn't sure until the day she did it. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, just because of like the magnitude of what Paris Hilton is in the world, when you got the job, you know, even though it went well, were you still like, okay, oh my God, like this could be, you know, you had Bombshell, you have this wonderful career before this, but were you like, okay, this could like change my career? Not that you weren't doing great things before, but just because of the magnitude of what Paris, and you know, everything around Paris blows up in a good way. Or that you never went Oh my there. God, you think you could change my career? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think, just because of, listen, this is, you know, the way that the Paris is huge. Paris is huge. I don't think I really did appreciate how huge she is. I really had to see that for myself. I, I thought she was huge in the 2000s and, you know, maybe we kind of forgotten her. So I did know that she'd been massive in the 2000s, but I did not realize this kind of international fame she still had. And, and I was really over the course of making the doc where I was like, oh, she's massive. This is going to be big. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, and I don't mean to insult you. I think you have a great career before this. I no, just no, no, think, I, uh, you, no. It's exciting to hear you say that. It's just that, you know, well, it puts like eyes on you that maybe wouldn't have been because of Paris. Like it's just this different group of people that would never maybe have tuned in to a more serious documentary. I mean, this is yeah. a serious documentary too, but I mean, Paris, Little Hilton's are an army to be reckoned with. <laughs> they really are. It's a long really standing. No, I'm a little overwhelmed by it, honestly. Did you get, I mean, like, do you see a difference? Like, has your social media exploded? Are more people reaching out to you? Or you haven't, you don't really see that effect yet? Yeah, I'm definitely chatting with a lot of Little Hiltons and other fans all the time on social media and, and really enjoying the feedback and the conversations. And also, you know, what it's really blowing up with, which is sort of important and serious, is the Breaking Code Silence campaign. And I have actually seen more terrible testimony of what goes on in these schools in the last few days than I did the entire time I was researching this film. So I have a renewed sense now of outrage and determination that we have to shut down these schools like you guys don't know how bad this abuse is it's it's way beyond what you saw in the film that was just scratching the surface and go on to the internet like type in breaking code silence listen to some of that testimony it's gone viral in the last few days and people are coming out with stories that we're never going to speak up well that's why i mean to that point are you 
I mean, that must be a huge, amazing byproduct of this film that you went to set out and make this film to have everyone see a different side of Paris, which you made a great film and it is accomplished, but like, it almost has like this much bigger purpose now. So, I mean, that must be- Yeah. That, you know, the idea that this film might actually save some kids from that fate is everything. Like, if we could do that, holy shit, man. Like, something good came out of 2020. So let's make that seriously <laughs> something good. I think it will. And Paris is now like this. She's actively involved in this still. Oh, this hugely. Is. Yeah. She's actually putting together an even bigger team to go out there. She's meeting with senators, the senator in Oregon that she's, it's fantastic. She's wow. really going to make this happen. And I'm just mostly in the cheering section, but also trying to figure out if I can help in any way. And I mean, that wouldn't have happened without this film. Yeah, I don't know if it would have. So yeah, that's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Can we call this film a product of 2020? Cause it kind of was made in 2019 or can we just actually put it in the good column in 2020? I, I think it's in, I mean, it came out in 2020. I think yeah, it's in the good column. Yeah. So I was going to go to Tribeca. I was going to be at Tribeca. I mean, so do you have those moments of like, you know, that would have been nice. If you could yeah. be like, the, the way we started this conversation, if you could be out there promoting it, like that would have been nice. Oh my God. I had like a month of mourning around Tribeca because, you know, it's like people didn't know that we were necessarily going to be locked down in February, March. So I was still planning this massive party and everybody was going to come. And it was this really exciting moment in my life. And I was like figuring out my outfit. And I kept calling my friends and like, reading more and more about the pandemic and being like, it feels like I'm planning a wedding and the groom has already disappeared. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. You know, it didn't ever happen. And so for like a month, I was in a real funk about it. And then I just kind of let it go. And I felt like, you know, the film will have the life it has. It's not meant to have that life. And I started researching another project that I think I never would have gotten into if it weren't for COVID because it just wasn't on my radar. It didn't seem important or serious enough. And it's turned out to be very serious. And like the Paris story, it has all these layers, all this abuse and craziness. Um, and so I think I'm going to do that story now. And maybe I wouldn't have done that story. So yeah, life is mysterious. Like what's meant to be is. Yeah. Did you get starstruck when you met Paris? And like, are you the type to get starstruck? You know, having been around Susan for so long, it kind of it, it kind of got rid of that for me because I saw the mundane sides of stardom, the really downsides of stardom up close. And it actually gave me a huge amount of empathy and compassion for her. And what I saw when I saw Paris, you know, coming from that place, I just had a lot of empathy and compassion. Also heady, by the way. You know, it's not easy being in the public eye. And I know people like to bash celebrities at the moment during the pandemic. What do they know about hardship? But a lot of them have really effed up lives, people. I mean, Hedy Lamar was on meth for 30 years, pure meth, because she was so miserable about her life. Like, think about that. And Paris was horribly abused. And Susan is like someone who's been hounded in the press for making one political statement, which you know, I didn't personally agree with, but I think that there's freedom of speech in this country, you know? And so I've seen so much pain in celebrity and 
so I think, yeah, I, I don't feel starstruck anymore. I feel like I see the human and I, and I wonder how they're doing. Yeah, and also to your point, if you talk to some of these people, like deep down, they are some of the most, you yeah. know, a lot of them are very unhappy, so you can't yeah. judge. Yeah, and a lot of them aren't, and a lot of them, especially this new generation, there seems to be a sense of some, some celebrities have really realized that you have to take it in a certain way so as not to like let it get to you. But I, I think you also have to realize that living in a fishbowl is never gonna be easy. Now, how did you decide to include, because I thought this was a, a great moment also, how did you in, decide, because I think in this one moment, you reminded people or people that might be younger that don't realize this, that Paris really is the original influencer. I love the moment of where Kim Kardashian was with Paris and it's just like, she's moved out of the way for the, everyone wants to make sure Paris. It's a Can great moment. I it's know. A, it's a great moment. So, I mean, yes. like, that you just decided to include that well we saw it in the edit suite and we're falling all over the floor laughter because of course that girl didn't know who she was standing in front of her how could she have known but it just was the perfect visual encapsulation of how that worked it was paris first then kim and you know hats off to kim she gets in the dock and she tells you that but seeing it is a whole nother thing yeah seeing it you summed up the whole, there's nothing you could have made very clear that Paris right. is the original influencer than that one scene. <laughs> no. And so. that sweet girl isn't trying to diss anyone. She's just standing there with the biggest smile on her face, eclipsing Kim Kardashian. I mean, I bet you now she wishes she had a picture with Kim Kardashian. <laughs> Although she's got that clip, so she can just play that on repeat. That's Fantastic. true. Yeah. Was, it, was it hard to get Kim Kardashian involved in the film? This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. It wasn't hard. She wanted to support Paris. That was already kind of clear. What was difficult is that she's very, you know, tightly controlled in her life. And perhaps the most controlled person I've ever met, which is interesting because think about how much we talk about control in Paris's life. But Kim Kardashian takes it to another level and she has orchestrated everything around her before you get close to do an interview. And I thought that was very interesting. Did she and or her people and team want control? Like, did they say, go ahead and do this and we need to see the final product before it goes out? You know what? They didn't. Yeah, you're right. They didn't do that. Um, and that was brave. And it was a sign of true friendship. But I think, I think Kim Kardashian is also... Maybe I'm going, you know, I'm going to get slammed and caricaturized for this, but I think that woman is brilliant. I saw a real powerful, powerful intellect sitting across from me. And she knew exactly what I was saying, exactly what I was going to use. Her mind was way ahead of me. And she was controlling everything in that room, noticed everything, saw everything. 
And I have to say, like, you, you gotta realize when you're watching people like Paris and Kim, you have no idea who you're watching. Yeah, because I mean, it is brilliant. I mean, to be that controlled and know your surroundings and know, and be media trained like from yourself, like you know what's gonna be used, you know, I mean, that is a skill. It's incredible. Not easy. It's incredible. Kim did not want me to shoot her trousers because she didn't know that our lens was going to be as wide as it was. So she didn't want the interview to start until we changed the lens and she knew it was going to be a mid shot. She knows everything. She's brilliant. And she's, she's way ahead of most people intellectually, which is why she was able to train herself to be a lawyer um, without going to law school. She's doing the, you know, the, the President Lincoln apprenticeship program for lawyers, which yeah. is like, actually a really difficult thing to do. Did you have to meet with her like before she agreed or she just because of Paris, once it was all worked out, she said yes. I met with her in another scene. We, we did a really big scene around Paris's best friend's ass video. And it was wild carnival footage and Kim came and they did this whole thing and they talk in her trailer and you really see them interacting. And you know what was crazy? It didn't fit in the film. Even though you'd think that was the scene everybody would want to see, it didn't fit. So I did meet her. We did have this long shoot day and we never used it. Wow. And we didn't use a lot. I, I mean, shit, there's so much we didn't use. I had Paris talking about not voting for Trump. I had Paris talking about supporting Pete Buttigieg. Didn't use it because it felt like it was gonna be out of date by the time we got to air. Um, but you know, when you see the responses, I, I keep wanting to cut a, a, like a three hour version of the film so you can see all the parts of her that are on tape. What else like was shocking or just that you would have been like, oh, this was so hard to cut? There was this amazing film, uh, a piece where she welcomes a little Hilton into her home who's flown across the country and she spends the whole afternoon just filling bags of gifts for her. And it's just stuffing things into bags, covering her in jewels, putting clothes on her, like it's just giving her everything in her closet that she likes. <laughs> it's really wild. And you know, the, the girl is very emotional about it, but Paris, she's getting so much out of it, she doesn't want to stop. And she's wow. like a little giggly schoolgirl when she's coming. She's so excited. She's so nervous to meet this fan. Yeah, I would imagine the fan was emotional about it. No, Paris. Oh. Paris was like jumping up and down and excited and like uh, she's, she's getting her dog hair off her clothes before the fan comes. And then the fan rings the doorbell and she runs downstairs and she's sort of out of breath. She's very nervous to meet her super fans. And then, you know, just couldn't give her enough stuff. It was a really fascinating scene, but again, too much. Because you saw, you saw Korea, you didn't need it both times. Well, all three of these scenes sound great. I think maybe you should put out <laughs> a three-hour version. <laughs> yeah, I should have. Damn it. I think that ship has sailed, but would have been you, interesting. And you might have this new project. So, I mean, you are still involved with Paris and Provo, it sounds like. Yeah, I'm going to do anything I can to help Breaking Code Silence. Was it hard to get the other students to come forward, like her classmates that were in the film? 
Yes. They all had experienced such trauma and they had not stayed in contact with each other and they had not heard that so many other people had had their experiences. Um, so each one was individually terrified of doing this and terrified of revisiting their trauma. And so I would say there was a kind of a mini version of the therapy that was happening in Paris that was also happening with each of them because I really wanted them to feel and know that this was a process that was safe and would also end up being a net positive in terms of the psychological risks they were taking, reopening all of this trauma. Wow. And also I have to say there's a hell of a lot more footage with them and a lot of stories that, you know, would blow your socks off, but there's only so far we could go with one film. Well, it's amazing that this was made then because I mean, like you said, like, if this could change and like shut down these schools. Yeah. Then like, we feel is, like we could. This is real life, you know? We, yeah, we really need to do that. And unfortunately, something that I wasn't able to explore in the film that I would really like people to know and to care about is a lot of children are sent to these facilities because they are gay or bisexual or exploring their sexuality. And there is this kind of unsaid thing where a lot of parents are sending them to, to Utah to straighten them out. And a lot of kids get humiliated and punished. And one of this happened to one of Paris's roommates. I won't say which one, but uh, they got horribly treated for being potentially gay or potentially bisexual. And so that's a layer that is even more heartbreaking but also just brings to light how innocent these children really are. You know, they say troubled teens and you assume they're actually troubled. They may not be troubled at all. And actually none of the women that were featured in this film were really what you would characterize as troubled. And one of them was sent there just because she was interested in kissing girls. I mean, is there this level of like conversion therapy trying to go, I mean, is that part of the punishment where they try to explain to you not to be gay or it's just, they don't go that far, but you're just punished when you're there. They tell you that God won't love you. You can't go to church if you're gay. Um, if you are caught kissing a girl or anything like that, you have to wear a hot pink jumpsuit that's a sign of humiliation. You have to sleep under a spotlight. So there's this ritualized humiliation to stop anyone from expressing any curiosity or any healthy exploration of their sexuality. And I thought also what was interesting as a byproduct of this is now, you know, like Drew Barrymore has made a statement when Paris was on her show. So, I mean, I know it all worked out and it was maybe a more positive experience for her. Yeah, it was. And I think, you know, in some ways, I think the program that she went to was not related to this network of schools that we're talking about. And I, we're not saying that there aren't any programs for troubled teens that work. For sure there are. They don't tend to be related to this network of schools. This network of schools is related to a cult that was started um, in, in the 80s or, or even earlier called Cyanon, actually in the 50s, what am I talking about? And it was originally to stop, to help drug addicts through really um, almost like a shock therapy. And they would make drug addicts go through this kind of extreme deprivation forms of abuse. And it didn't work. And by the 80s, it was rejected because it was such a violent method. But it had already influenced 
the early troubled teen industry and a lot of schools base their methodology with the children in these wilderness programs or in these early troubled teen boarding schools on sign on methods, which include isolation, restraints, beating, um, just insane stuff for a kid that's exploring their sexuality. Can you imagine? Or no. in Paris's case, just likes to go out and party. And I grilled, uh, you know, all of her family on that. She wasn't doing a lot of hard drugs. She wasn't doing anything, you know, that wouldn't be characterized as normal. She was partying. Which really anyone her age was doing if you grew up in New York. Like, that's just how... Or London. <laughs> yeah, totally. Or London, yes. It's like a city... Yeah. Ch- that's city how all thing. children are. Yeah, we all went to the limelight, whether we were in London or New York. Yeah, exactly. Kind of. Kind, kind of. of. Um, so, yeah, it's really, really bad. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children are still in the, in these facilities. And... I don't, I don't understand how it's lasted this long. Have you heard, because I mean, obviously Paris watched it with you, but what about like Nikki, Kathy, and Rick? Like, did they, re- do you know their feedback? Did they not give it to you? Uh, Nikki has supported the film and been really positive about it and tweeted and, and it's been great. Um, Rick, we didn't hear anything, but we saw him show up to Paris's at-home screening. Um, which is sort of a sign of sport. Um, I have not heard from Kathy. And honestly, a lot of the comments I've read online have been merciless with her. And I do feel bad about that because I feel like if I had been able to explain to people how this network of therapists work who make mothers, concerned mothers like Kathy send their kids to these schools, you know, it was a little bit of a bridge too far in this film, but it really does take some of the onus off her. Um, but hopefully she'll see that, you know, this film can do some good in the world and it can stop other kids from suffering what her daughter suffered. I mean, is she unhappy with the film? Like how is she was portrayed? I don't know. I've heard nothing. I know she loved the trailer. Maybe, maybe she isn't. I don't know. Interesting. And people online, because I haven't read any of the online comments, what they feel Kathy came across looking bad. I mean, I didn't, I didn't really take you that. Didn't, yeah. no. I didn't either. I saw I mean, I, really I like grappling with, with... Well, I took, yeah, like I took away that she didn't really know the extent really of any of this. Yeah, and that's, I think that's a really fair characterization. She really didn't. And I think you also saw a woman who is processing the magnitude of what turns out to be true. And you don't always like show all your emotions when you're processing, you know, shock doesn't look like very much. Um, I think she is genuinely shocked. And Paris says that she and her mother are very close right now. So I think at least they're in a dialogue. So maybe something positive came out of it. I don't know. But I haven't gotten a call of, like from an angry Kathy Hilton saying she hated it. So that's good. <laughs> that's good. And honestly, like for me as a viewer, I didn't realize that this, I don't even know if wedge is the right word, but like the mother-daughter dynamic, I just always thought it was like roses between Kathy and Paris. Mm. Not knowing anything about Provo. So I mean, to me, mm. I don't know. I thought that was like, shed light on that 
you know, Kathy grew up without a dad. She was, her mom was a single mom and she was the only one in her neighborhood from a divorced parent in that very traditional time. And apparently she felt a lot of shame and, you know, dislocation around that. And she used to call all the other dads in the neighborhood daddy when she was too little to realize that they weren't her daddy. And she had a fantasy in her childhood of the perfect picket fence and the perfect husband who would come home and would actually be daddy and his perfect life. And she said to me once, like, maybe that was my problem. I, I just wanted the perfect life so much. And I think that what she's saying is that she wanted to control everything to be that perfect life because she needed it psychologically. And that's often what you have to see when you see parent child um, kind of maybe unintentionally hurting each other. It's because there's this different psychological damage and it's kind of created two different gaps and they, it's incompatible. Right. Mm, that's but interesting. That's what I see with Kathy and Paris. Was it hard to get Kyle Richards to be involved? No, she was wonderful. And I wish I could have used more of her interview because she was a great interview. <laughs> she was well, really great. She's probably used to it. Do you watch Real Housewives of Beverly Hills? You know, I did only because I was, knew I was going to interview her. So I was doing my research and I was like, oh, I could watch this for quite some time. <laughs> well, I don't know what you're doing the rest of quarantine, but I think you should go back and you start at episode one. I have a lot to catch up on. Well, it's worth every second of it. Yeah, clearly. It's, it looks a little too addictive. I just don't know if I like get my work done. So Kyle was great to deal with. She was great. Couldn't have been more warm. I mean, I think she was very aware that she wanted to make sure her mother, her sister Kathy was on board with her doing it, but Kathy was on board with her doing it. So she totally opened up. That's great. Is there anything else we haven't covered that I always like to give people a chance at the end, like any message, you know, anything you want to leave us with, anything I didn't touch upon? I think what I want to leave you with is, I wish I could have shown you how much Paris cares about her fans in, in a really tangible way. Like she doesn't just write loving notes on Facebook. She actually gets involved in their lives and sometimes counsels people who are in danger or um, people who feel like they have to hide who they are. Paris is really supportive um, and it's a really beautiful thing. And I did have a lot of footage of that and I didn't get to include it. So I want people to know that she, the reason she inspires such crazy love from her little Hiltons is it's reciprocated, you know? And I think you see in the beginning of the film that that doesn't work as the only love relationship in your life. It can't fulfill you, but it is unusual. And I don't want to take that away from Paris is real. She really, really cares. And um, I don't know, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, she gives more than most people in her place to fans. Yeah, because she really cares. Like, she's really moved that that fan thinks she's great. Like, Paris doesn't feel like she belongs in the VIP area. When you get to know Paris, you realize that what she psychologically feels like an outsider. And the person that she's most worried about at a VIP event is the person that's been left outside the red carpet, in fact, outside the venue. 
So when we were going into her big skincare launch in Korea, they kept trying to tell her that she had to worry about the people with the blue bracelets because they had all the money. <laughs> and then there was people with the yellow bracelets who were influencers and so on. And Paris just kept zoning out and asking people like, what about fans who can't get in and they are outside and they're worried, she's worried that they will get pushed or treated badly. And she wants to make sure the security guys goes out and make sure anybody left out in the cold is welcomed in and meets her personally. This is what she cares about. I didn't see her once go and greet a person with the colored wristbands. Really? So that's, that's true. That's real. I saw that with my own eyes. So I don't want anyone to take that away from her because they're cynical about who she is. That's, yeah. Well, I mean, it was a great movie. I think everyone needs to watch this movie that hasn't. So thank you for making it. Thank you so much for a wonderful, long, wide-ranging conversation about it. What a thrill to be able to have this conversation. Thank you for listening. My listen. husband sells ad space, and nobody wants to talk to him about it for an hour. So I'm really pleased. Thank you. I mean, listen, I interview a lot of people for a living. I am a huge Paris Hilton fan. So, you know, I still, this is, I, I find it all very fascinating, but thank you for also entertaining all of my questions. Oh, it's a pleasure. And for making a great movie. And where can everyone follow you on social media? I am Alex Dean Director on Instagram and Alex, Alexandra Dean on Twitter and Alex Hajjaj Dean as well. Hajjaj is my middle name, H-A-G-G-I-A-G. Everyone needs to follow you and everyone needs to watch Bombshell too. It's not, you know, you have a whole career out there, so. <laughs> Thank you. So keep in touch. I really, really appreciate you for taking your time. Oh, thank you. Really appreciate it too. And, Anytime. Uh, I'll be listening to your podcast from now on. What an and awesome I, interviewer. Please do. And I will be following you and seeing what you're up to next. And keep in touch. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon. Because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind The Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.